0: Get this going here. Put it up on the table so it makes a good sound.
1: Podcast. I'm Gabe Reinick and I am in Trescott, Maine. And I'm joined as I am every pretty much every fortnight by Ken Holyoke, who is in Lethbridge, Alberta, where he's recently recuperated from uh, uh an illness that caused him to lose his voice, thereby making the town of Lethbridge quieter than it had been in uh <laughs> what what would it be now, Ken? Would it would it be a full year? Uh the,
0: probably the quietest it's been in a year. Yeah. So it's been in it's, a uh, year. Yeah. So uh, I was so, left
1: left only with the sound of my thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, so I'm in the field. Ken is not. Um, uh, I don't have any baffling up, but I am I am in uh, very comfortable lodgings here at the Copscook Institute, in front of my actual bed. So rather than hanging up comforters uh, around, I just am, am doing that. Yeah, yeah there's um, a nice
0: little uh, uh, for those for the listener that can't see this. There's a uh, uh, Gabe is in a little bunkie. <laughs> with uh, what looks like uh, probably three other people, uh, a couple bunk beds? Or do so you, is I, this the captain's chambers?
1: I have been promoted to the captain's chambers. I, we 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 used to, um, to to multiple bunk, even the faculty. But then we got Shirk and National Geographic. And I said, I think I've earned a single room. <laughs> and so I am actually in my usual room here at 106, which is a great room at the Cobbs uh, Institute. Because it's got the 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 interesting double bed, so you can't tell this, but th- this is a double bed with a single bed above it. So you've got storage oh, for your pack, and that's like my
0: that's like Ruby's bunk bed.
1: Oh, fantastic! Yeah,
0: double on the bottom and then a single up at the top. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I feel incredibly grown up, and <laughs> and this is good. Um, we are sponsored as we are uh, every fortnight or so by the Associations of Professional Archaeologists of New Brunswick and. We have um, some exciting news. This is going to be a special episode. So we do not have an opportunity to rename the podcast. And that's because I'm in the field. Um, so even if you sent in a new name, I, we would have no way to get the stickers redone easily um, at this juncture. There'd be other <laughs> logistical challenges. Um, I don't want to come back through customs and someone is like, oh yeah, we've heard about your work on the New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast. And I have to say, well, actually, officer, um, and get all sorts of heat at the border. <laughs> so instead... Um, we are going to go, I think, Ken, to uh, listener mail and then to our Eco4 prize draw. Is that correct? That is correct. And and for those of you wondering um, what the
0: dulcet tune was at the start, uh, it may be hinting at what we're going to what the tonight's episode is about.
1: I think it um, might. The the listener might not have known that Ken is uh, actually uh, an aspiring marimba artist. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's quite marimba.
0: It's I think it's a it's a, a Fisher Price. Uh, xylophone yeah, yeah. maybe marimba is the uh the like the actual is it an actual
1: xylophone like a musician xylophone uh, i'm not really sure um we maybe we get a sponsor from the from a room marimba company there uh, you go yeah yeah um and so uh if if someone wanted to contact us via our email address ken how would they do so uh they would send it to New Brunswick
0: Archaeology at gmail.com all and one we word. spell that uh in the sort of with all of the A's. Yeah, so A-R-C-H-A-E-O-L-O-G-Y. So New Brunswick, archaeology, all one word at
1: gmail.com. That's great. It's a good thing that wasn't taken. yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone in New Jersey about a week after we got that was very upset. I, I,
0: I suppose, eh? Yeah, we yeah. we
1: do have to we do have to uh, plot out
0: um a New Brunswick archaeology episode, but about New Brunswick, New Jersey. I think we that should
1: discuss this. Yeah, that, that, I think that's definitely coming in season two. Yeah, as long as it's live, I think it should be live from a diner while I'm eating a a pork roll, ham and cheese. And, that without, uh, we
0: could probably get that arranged, you know. Oh, I bet we
1: could. Yeah, we should have
0: Amy come on because she's a New Jerseyite.
1: We um, should. We should yeah. get Amy on. Um, no, yeah, and and I mean, we we get her on to we should time it to she could talk about rocks. We get. Uh, Michael Chase and I had to talk about the Trenton Gravels. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, yep, we could. Uh, we got all sorts of options here. Yeah, but listener, that's not what we're talking about tonight. So Ken, uh, what's in our uh, what's in our listener mail? We have a uh, listener mail from
0: Greg, um, uh, one of our uh, colleagues uh, who works for Eco4. Oh good. Uh, who wrote us a nice note. Hey guys, in an attempt to put one of your stickers the furthest away from New Brunswick possible, <laughs> I found a good spot at the signpost, uh, signpost forest in Watson Lake Yukon oh, pictures attached. I'm really enjoying the podcast and it's been great listening while driving all over Northern BC, particularly enjoyed reliving the Pedicodiac Abwato experience <laughs> from last episode. Keep up the great work, uh, Greg. And then he sent us a couple pictures and, uh, I'll share the screen. Oh, this is really cool. Actually, I'm going to share the screen for you so you can see this. Yeah. Um, This looks like a place where people actually just stick things. um, Oh, cool. Travels. And uh, so very neat. So he gave us a zoom in as well. So here we are on the signpost. That is cool. That is very cool. Greg. Oh, we're in. Oh,
1: yes. Look at that. We're right on the the railing. That's terrific. Thanks, Greg. So uh, the listener can't really we, we'll throw this on the Instagram too, I think. Could you, if you could forward this to me, Ken, I'll, I'll throw this up on our Instagram. I will do just that. That's really cool. Well, thanks, Greg. Yeah, yeah thanks, wow. Greg. And it was great seeing you in uh, member two, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that's um, very exciting. Yeah. Oops. Typed your... Uh, trying to forward this to you and I typed your name
1: in the... Subject oh, yeah. Line. That's, yeah, the last name is hard to spell too. Ken, Ken's squinting at this computer. It's says, h r <laughs> <laughs> um, the and, uh, and that's just mail. and that's it for listener mail for right now yeah that's it for uh, listener mail well yeah that's that's uh, that's very exciting greg and thank you for that and um so i understand though ken that speaking of eco4 um, we now have our first prize drawing and yeah. the listener who tuned in last week will know that um eco4 which is an environmental consulting company that started out west but is now um all over canada and does a lot of fine work a lot of great archaeologists work for them uh very generously donated uh a lot of swag for us yeah. to uh redistribute and so um and i believe our, our colleague trevor dow is actually in charge of redistribution he's sort of sitting on this smog like actually right now he's got <laughs> it's, it's he calls it a home office but you know it's it's i think the genre is sort of you know dragon's cave it's uh it's some literal magic cards. I think he's surrounded by maybe, you know, 800, 900, 1,000 magic Pretty cards. Pretty good comic book collection, too. Great comic book collection. And things like waterproof Eco4 backpacks, uh, some camouflage hats. I can't see the camouflage hats when he shows me them, but that's okay. Yep. And then... Um, it pairs well with your Alpine can that will be coming out here in the next <laughs> uh, next month or so. for, <laughs> exactly. season. for the season, So that's you can right. fully disappear in the New Brunswick Woods. That's right. That's right. And then in addition to that, um, the really the kind of uh, probably the coolest piece of Archeo swag I've ever seen, which is they have custom Marshalltown trowels. Yeah. And so, I I Which I didn't gonna... even know you could do. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, they must have um, they must have an in with the Marshalltown. Co- I got I got uh, a lot of grief once in a hardware store in Storrs, Connecticut, because I was outfitting the... Um, uh, university or the University of Connecticut Field School. So we've gone in to buy a bunch of gear. And this hardware store had some kind of like deal that, uh, like, a, that they were the official hardware part of the university. So you could only run the purchase orders through this hardware store. And trying to explain to the guy that we really did want to buy $10 shovels, but $22 trowels was was very hard <laughs> to explain to this man. And I just, it is, he's sitting there, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, I think once we bought the trowels, you know, he thought we were, we were on the hook for some like you know $80 shovels and I was like no no this will work fine <laughs> yeah yeah the, uh, the,
0: the ones that have that uh the, the wood that's like it's almost like it's not even real wood yeah <laughs> I don't think yeah. it was yeah but, uh, yeah yeah he,
1: he assured me we can't really vouch for these <laughs> <laughs> um so what um what is the prize for this draw what what, what are we uh doing as parcel number one uh, why don't we do the, a waterproof bag and a trowel? Yeah. I think a waterproof bag and a trowel is a great start. My, my concern was, do we, do we want to start the hype earlier? Do we want to start it late? Like, What's, do we want to what, build what up the, hype? To the, like, do we want to build up to the exciting gift? Is the, is the waterproof bag sort of the premium grab? I'm not sure. No, let's do the trowel in the bag. Trowel in the bag? Trowel in the yeah. bag. Yeah. We can throw and in the no. case of Alpine if the, if the winner in New Brunswick at the end <laughs> gets the camo hat. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um do you have the draw, the things to draw in front of you? No, I don't have access to the Instagram account. Oh, no one's actually submitted
0: yet. Oh. Oh, so we can't do this. We can't do the draw yet. We're keeping this in. So so for the listener that is okay. wondering, uh, if this is now a, an even more elaborate prize scheme, this is not. We actually do have a real, a real prize to give away this time. uh Oh, power. Okay. Yes, yeah, um, I. Like motion sensor lights. We do actually have real prizes, like legitimate yes. real prizes to give away. So, so if you do, if you do follow the Instagram instructions, and and for the life of me, I can't remember what we said we to do. I think it was send in a finished bingo card. Yeah, we need a finished bingo card. Yeah, either to the email or or tag us on Instagram. Yep, and uh, and you're entered in the draw. And so uh, I guess we'll <laughs> I guess we'll draw next episode.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll try to do a draw next episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um so for the for the avid listeners for the for the now 49 uh, regular listeners, um <laughs> get your uh, get your bingo cards uh, all gussied up there. So
1: yeah. Well, um, this is going smoothly, listener. So, um, it is. <laughs> so this will this will not be a surprise based on the last um, the last interaction that Ken and I have had on here, which is that um, we are reviewing the Dial of Destiny, and not only are we reviewing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Ken and I have not spoken about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and in fact, Ken has not spoken at all. That's we we've committed Ken so much silence about this that um, we took his voice for five days. So people. <laughs> People didn't have to hear about. the It was called the the embargo. That's yeah, uh... yeah. <laughs> Ken was embargo. Um, and so I'll outline a little bit my experience. I saw this uh, on the first of July at. Um, I actually realized I hadn't been to the movies since before COVID. Really. Um, and and yeah, and I I I've told other people this. I may have told you this, but the I was in uh, West Virginia for much of the pandemic, and um, I, I realized. Up. It was, it's, it is almost seven. Yeah. And, um, and there, West Virginia has the highest uh, per capita number of strip clubs in this fair nation that I reside in. <laughs> and they all were, it was like one of the, uh, you know, first business to get shut down. And so as a result, the signs outside of the strip clubs were basically like time capsules of strip shows from St. Patrick's day. So, so you could find out um, that, uh, you know, come get lucky at the uh, Golden Horseshoe or whatever. Um, but you, the first few times you saw these, you you sort of thought they were, maybe amusing is the wrong word, but they caught your eye. But after you'd been you'd been driving by them for like a year, you just didn't see them anymore. And that's what movie billboards became for me. So I just didn't really realize movies had come back. I kind of forgot. So I had to Google where the movie theater, I was in Manchester, New Hampshire at the time, where it was. <laughs> and so I saw this at Chunky Cinema Pub, which, <laughs> <laughs> Which is really weird. It's a sort of restaurant um, with rolling chairs that are old Lincoln town car chairs that have been put on wheels. Oh, and you um, you order from a like an app uh, on your phone, and people appear with uh, various kinds of appetizers and drinks um, while you watch this so is uh, it, while you watch a movie. So it's like a like not like staggered
0: seating. It's just sort of kind of like a yeah. drive-in but indoors uh,
1: yes that's right
0: yeah huh it was pretty so, weird the american movie experience is is like much more unique than canada because like it's basically here it's cineplex almost exclusively right other than you have a fair fair a few like of the cineplex was called... one of those strip the names of one of those strip clubs in west virginia actually <laughs> they had they used to have ones that were called uh paramount um silver also something. the name of the strip club <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but we don't have like AMCs and places like that. Uh, yeah. Although there is one here, it's called the movie mill. And apparently it's, it's like the, after the movie's been out for a few weeks, it's like $2 for the movies. Apparently the popcorn's oh, cool. really good. And like, uh, um, oh, nice. yeah. So I'll probably go check out. There's a couple of movies that I missed, uh, in their, in their first run that I'll go over there and, and catch. Oh, so. very cool. Um, yeah.
1: and we should, we should, I mean, one of the things that, that I, I mean, I can tell you what, uh, what, uh, Mrs. Dr. Renick and I ate at this, which was that, um, yeah, things like the large Marge margarita, the uh, Adam sampler. Uh, there was a special dial <laughs> destiny drink, which was oh. uh, a sort of like. Um, I mean, it really eludes description. Um, <laughs> it was it was red, <laughs> and uh, it seemed to have some sort of uh, uh, rum in it. Um, what, my, my, what was my?
0: What was the significance of it?
1: Well, I, my we weren't sure. My companion pointed out that it seemed like something a fifteen-year-old Marion would have liked. Uh. <laughs> uh, we had there were Napoleon Dynamite tops and uh, something oh. called High Noon Nachos.
0: Oh, very nice, yeah. very nice. Um, you, you had
1: a, you had a decidedly more
0: elaborate um, uh, spread. I had I had two Saul's, a bag of popcorn, and some
1: peanut M and M's. Two what? what was the first one? Saul's, like the Mexican beer. Oh yeah 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 absolutely. Um, so anyway, I guess, I guess now that we're into this, we should maybe talk about the movie. We should tell the listener that if you haven't seen it, um, and you're planning on seeing it, um, there are going to be substantial spoilers uh, in our review, because we're not really sure how to review a movie without talking about what happened in the movie. Yeah. Um, and so as I said, why don't we start with just, uh, so Ken, um, we haven't talked about this. Did you like it? I did. Yeah. I, in fact,
0: I would, uh, it was way better than Crystal Skull. um and it is it was very different than the original series yeah in that I I wrote a couple times that um it was much faster frantic and more actiony than the original series yeah um but there were parts of it that were very like felt very at home like uh the, the the sort of middle section when they're on the hunt for the second part of the device and you've got them kind of moving across the land and you get the map with the plain dotted line and everything like that, that, that felt very like the original series. Yes. But the, the car chase scene was like, I don't know, straight out of like mission impossible or something.
1: Yeah. I, I So, and I think, um, yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with a long movie. If a movie wants to be as long as this podcast, that's usually okay with me, but I have to say, I, I found it a little bit tedious actually. I found some of the, um, I thought it dragged. It did. There it definitely there was so the
0: opening, the opener, like yeah. the which was like a 20-minute long train battle scene with so did Nazi motorcycles get much faster in the last 40 years? Cause they I, they were going really
1: fast. Yeah. I uh, did uh, safety in features too, I think. <laughs> the, um, it, no one knows this, but the, the Germans invented the anti-lock brake on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um yeah, I, I, yeah, I could, I I would agree with that, that there was definitely some, and there, you know, there were some twists in it that were uh, definitely harkened back to the, the strategy that they had in Crystal Skull. Um, and uh, uh, again, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen the movie, there is literal time travel in this movie. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is interesting. Like, so- like the actual Archimedes. <laughs> It's it's is in the credits. Who should have been like, being
1: played by Harrison Ford, but uh, <laughs> so so basically like the, the kind of the plot, I guess we just are we supposed to say the plot? I guess we're supposed to say the plot, which is that yeah. um uh I mean do you do you wanna I've got notes here about it, but basically so, Indiana Jones is an aged um he retires actually during the movie prof at Hunter College in New York. He um had a buddy in the battle days named uh basil shore uh, sorry basil shore basil. Uh, and and he and uh basil were tied up uh you know fighting nazis and um got and 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 sort of had this uh or, or became involved in this antikythera which is a uh Archimedes dial, basically right yeah, so sort of an it's early a real computer. thing, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. the Antikythera is like a real thing um yeah. and the and there's a Nazi doctor in it played by Mads Mickelson, who is like i I don't think you can go wrong casting him in a movie, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: um and he always plays a very good villain, uh but yeah, yeah so the in, the the intro to the movie is them um sort of raiding this Nazi train of plunder uh and uh. Uh, there's there's a great line where um not the name of a strip club in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh no, it's later in the movie um when when uh sorry, continue with, so he's retiring, he's
1: got this old buddy, they found the antikytheria yeah and and um his old buddy has a daughter who uh, appears in one of Anita Jones' classes, um, and she turns out to be basically um have become jaded because her father sort of went nuts chasing this, uh, Antikythera around being involved with in this Antikythera. And, um, so she became a sort of black market antiquities dealer, um, yeah. and kind of hard living, but also because sort of clearly brilliant, um, uh, uh, antiquities dealer, uh, dealing with in someone antiquities. Um, she's sort of, uh, I guess she's supposed to be the sort of inspiring woman lead in this, but she is a little bit one-dimensional, actually, in the in in terms of she's sort of just boring, I thought. Yeah, and, and has a lot of um
0: in-awe face going on throughout the movies. Yeah. Um and kind of has these like sassy but sort of cheesy lines throughout. Yeah. There the, the good the best interaction was she's accusing. Um Indiana Jones is explaining what he and um and her father, uh Basil, were sort of up to, right? Yes. And uh and uh she's taught telling them that they're essentially grave robbers. And and my favorite line, I think, of the entire movie, we were trying to save history,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And in fact, it, it's then sort of revealed that uh that Basil had asked Indiana Jones to sort of um become a you know, a hobbit and take the Antikythera and destroy it. Yeah, but Indiana Jones had actually just stuffed it in his rather large uh, lab at Hunter College in New York. Yeah, and uh, stored it under some some lance heads. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One being the the lance that was used to uh, stab Christ. Right. That's the. No, oh, that cross- was the opening scene. That was that. That was the
0: knife that uh that the Nazis thought they had that they were taking to
1: to Hitler, oh that's right, that's right yep. um sorry my my notes here were a little vague on the on on which lances were which um yep. so this this was not sort of like lost in the uh the the Antikytheria had not actually been lost um and there's there's this sort of this this character that the sort of bad guy Nazi is this dr. Schmidt character um who teaches at, is, is so is heavily involved in the u.s space program is purported to teach at uh, at Bama roll tide and he um he and and,
0: and just so the listener knows that the the movie opens in 1945 sort of oh, right, at the yeah, end yeah. of the war um and then jumps ahead to what I think this must be 1969 after the Apollo mission has been uh, successfully back from the moon. Yes.
1: Yeah. So it's
0: it's a ticker tape parade for the, so we actually probably could find the date that the,
1: uh, that the movie opens on. We probably could. And, um, but in fact, it's probably more fun to leave that to some, some errata, you know, (laughs) in, let us know. Um, And, uh, and, oh, and, and I guess one of the other themes that emerges is that Indiana Jones's son has been killed in what one assumes to be, uh, the war in Vietnam yeah and a and very convenient way to get rid of Shia LaBeouf who, who doesn't need a convenient way to get rid of <laughs> Shia LaBeouf right yeah um and that uh that has also resulted in disintegration of Indiana Jones's marriage to Marion yeah um, so
0: he's he's a he's a kind of an alcoholic he's drinking scotch he's got a crappy apartment um he he's does yelling he does- at
1: He's yelling at hippies playing the Beatles, yeah i I actually have a note here that he also finds yellow submarine annoying, which was good to see a <laughs> negative portrayal of yellow submarine, <laughs> I thought uh in in the uh you know it's just signs that that not all was really well in the sixties and um so anyway, so this all kind of happens, and they end up just basically chasing this thing, right there's um dr. Schmidt um is in... actually Jurgen voller, hmm that's right, um. And there's also an entanglement with the CIA, which doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: No, they they kind of set up a character, uh, Mason, who's uh, this uh, CIA agent. And it wasn't clear if the CIA was paying Voller to go find artifacts or something like that. But anyway, she she appears to be this agent that's going to play a key part of the movie. Um, and then she's just shot in the stomach and left on a plane at one point.
1: Yeah. No, I mean it seems like uh, I looked this up and and uh, I thought it was called the the bechamel test, but it turns out that's just how you decide if you've if you've properly thickened a cheese sauce. But whatever that <laughs> sauce is about about having, uh, sorry, that t- test about having you know adequate uh, characters like someone had read the Wikipedia article and had been like, oh, I know what we'll do. Rather than having meaningful women characters, we'll just add one with propensity for violence to get shot. Yeah, it didn't make a whole lot
0: of sense um what is it they're the, the um mcguffin is that a char-
1: uh, like a character or an object in a movie that just doesn't have any purpose well i think it's got the purpose is that you're chasing it right so like the maltese falcon the, the falcon is the MacGuffin, right and i think in in this in the, i mean i think in this one the antikythera is <laughs> is, is the, is the, the MacGuffin. MacGuffin, right <laughs> yeah the uh and uh
0: and um so anyway, so so so, so the Antikythera is broken in half by Archimedes apparently, you know, uh, two thousand years ago, um, and so uh, the half that that uh, Doctor Jones has in his possession, um, the other half is being held by, um, it's it's hidden somewhere, and there is a key to finding it uh, that they have to go through an arms dealer in.
1: Morocco. In Morocco?
0: Right?
1: Yeah, at the um, um at the Hotel L'Antique, which um which if the listeners should know, I think that's also the, the site of the 2026 ESAF meeting. Oh. There you go. <laughs> Lots of scimitars, guns, antiquities <laughs> <Yeah>. dealing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we meet Teddy there,
0: who is uh uh who is Helly. Like short round for modern he's, yeah, he's he's short round of of today. Um and they, there's a, what are those, they're not rickshaws, the three wheeled um, cars that they drive around.
1: Oh, um, oh yeah. In, Indiana just names it. It's something like a tut tut or a. Tut tut. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what they yeah. are. Yeah. 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 So um, there's a really
0: elaborate chase scene uh, throughout the streets of Morocco. Um, and, uh, and then <laughs> essentially they meet up with Antonio Banderas, Who's a character that when he first appeared, I was like, "Are we supposed to know who this guy is?" Yeah, um, because Indiana Jones sets him up like an old friend, and I was like, "Oh, is it going to be?" Remember the the boat captain from Yeah, Rages of the Lost Ark? I was like, "It's going to be that guy." Yeah, that's but what no, I thought it's too. it's Antonio Banderas playing a Spanish boat captain that off screen. He and uh, Indiana Jones had a great relationship in the past. Yeah, um, but um, he's a diver, and so they need but, to go but to like the a ship. very
1: weird form of diving.
0: Uh, a frogger or something like that. Oh, look, they have these like tubes that they, it's not like a scuba system. I, but I think that might have been how scuba used to work.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Isn't we may it, have just like rotted ourselves. Frog
0: diving or something like that.
1: Yeah. Indiana Jones describes him as like the best frogman in the something or other. Mm. Yeah. So, um
0: so the frogmen, uh, so Jones and, uh, I can't remember what uh, Antonio Banderas' character's name was. Um, boat guy. Um, yeah, yeah. we we'll Captain Banderas. Head to the off the shores of Crete, is it? Yes, that's right. Um, to head to the wreck of the ship that the original Antikythera was found in. Yes. Um, but to go deeper uh, to the second part of the wreck to get the map to the second half of the Antikythera.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. And uh, so the bad guys show up again. Um, the The ship blows up, they get away. They uh, Then you have the sort of most true to the original series kind of 25 to 30 minutes where they're just sort of like yeah. bouncing around, you know, moving through tunnels. There's even kind of an homage to the like, you know, creepy crawlies that end up on uh, on them in every one of the movies. And so, you know, there's these like comically large centipedes yes that, that, that <laughs> fall on them in a catacomb
1: uh-huh.
0: um and uh and then you know you end up in a t- in a in a uh a tomb room of some kind and uh lo and behold it's it's archimedes tomb uh and uh and in, and he's holding the other half of the antikythera uh in his grave yeah um
1: and wearing a wristwatch
0: and wearing a wristwatch and that's where we get our first hint that the Antikythera as Basil Shaw had thought was actually a time travel device
1: exactly and and I will say that that's a hint that somewhat sailed by me uh (laughs) because at that point I was enjoying a nacho and thoroughly confused and (laughs) also wondering why um people kept getting shot which had really like ruined much of the tension for me in the chase scenes was that there's this dr schmidt has this sort of thuggish american guy who's sort of tall um who whenever a chase scene seemed to start to get interesting just shoot somebody yep and and that didn't do much for the dramatic tension i felt <laughs> um this is when one of those scenes where the the
0: cia agent is swiftly eliminated yeah exactly <laughs> to cut off that part of the plot yeah um, um
1: at some point here Sala reemerges.
0: Yep. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sala. Um, but sort of in just like, he's come to America and Indiana Jones arranged for it. Um, and so his family have moved to America. Uh, he's definitely wants to come with Indiana Jones. Uh, but, uh, uh, Indiana Jones just basically tells him no. That's um, right. And, and, uh, and- John Rhys Davies accent, um, uh, was much more strongly British than, uh, than it was, uh, um in the in the previous movies.
1: It's true. Um, and, and actually there's a theme here that that uh, I I think we can explore a little bit later after we've done the synopsis, which is there's a there's a quote here uh that's actually from kind of late in the late in the movie, but um Sala describes his grandchildren describes his relationship with his grandchildren as he wants them to understand their history, what it is to be American and Egyptian. And so we get I think a sense of an anti-nationalist theme here that I'm gonna want to explore. Uh, oh, <laughs> after we've actually after we explored this, the, uh, you got, this. you got a little bit deeper than I did in the, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but also, you know, something about the power of archeology, span I think about, um, yeah. about, about history. And so
0: in, in the real archeology span world at this time. So one of the things that I thought was interesting was there was a line in here where, um, uh, Jones says something about archeology span is about proving, um, What's about that? It makes it a science. That's funny. Actually,
1: I have this circle in my notes. He says this to Basil Shore. He says, "Quote: Proving it is what makes it science." End quote. Yeah. Yeah. And so I and I and at this time was sort of the early
0: days of processual archaeology, right? So Binford's Archaeology and Anthropology would have come out like seven years before. So sixty-two or sixty-four.
1: Sixty-two is one of the key ones, and then. 68, I think is one of the other key processional statements from Benford. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you
0: know, Jones is a classicist who probably was not super influenced by this paradigm shift in American archaeology yeah, yeah. but he, they drop a line in there that could be construed as maybe, you know, the old timer was, uh, was being influenced by, uh, by the, yeah. by the changes in, in, uh, in uh, theoretical orientation in, in Americanist yeah. archaeology at the time. I
1: mean, my note here says in the marginalia where I have that circled, um, that uh, processionalism contrasted with uh, Nazi uh, what does it say here? I wrote in cursive in the dark. Oh, contracted with Gustav Kusina, who is the, the the famous Nazi culture historian., uh, oh. which which uh, that's also a theme I'm happy to return to once we're once we're done here. I, I, I thought <laughs> some about this. That I think there are like a couple of key defenses of this movie, but also the whole Indiana Jones operation. I think, which often gets a negative rap from archaeologists. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and about, yeah, about it, is, it is incredibly hard to point. write in the dark. I I also discovered that it is. Yeah, I, I, I'm not always like on the line of my legal pad here. No, no. Okay, so so I think we're at about the same um, place here, and then so the sky so, has opened up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So the Antikythera is reassembled uh-huh. um, and what we learn is that it doesn't take you through time, but it, it tells
1: you when portals, um, how do they refer to them? Uh, I don't believe in magic, but a few times in life I've seen things. Is that the phrase? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that is a good line. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so the Antikythera
0: points you to when these like sort of space time rips happen um, <clears throat> and you can exploit them. Uh, mm-hmm. they are in the air, so you need a plane to go through them mm-hmm. um, and sure enough the the whole gang flies through them. so Jones is in a plane, uh and then the Nazis are in a Nazi plane, yes, uh and uh so As they, they would be so they think they are going to um Jurgen Voller, the the Nazi doctor, is trying to go and kill hitler to presumably assume the head of the nazi the third reich to
1: correct all of the mistakes that hitler made or something yeah I, I, that's my understanding is that he is planning to assassinate hitler to take over and make better decisions in his view yeah. um better tactical decisions um yeah reading this you know amid uh, i think what have been essentially that day news stories of the coup in moscow you know <laughs> was was an odd experience um but yeah and and i think that uh smith so plans to use this thing time travel to 1939 to kill hitler because he quote believes in victory um so smith believes he can correct hitler's mistakes i guess is the is the premise here um and there's some exciting stuff at the airfield before this where ketty uh the sort of short round s character um, kind of chases Schmidt's plane in his own plane, which he's stolen. Yeah, yeah, because there's this scene
0: when you first meet him that he's practicing how to fly a plane on like yogurt containers or something.
1: I think so, yeah. Uh, the other thing we missed is that we've mentioned Indiana Jones has been shot. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yes, uh, That which which, yeah. is the, which is a remarkably unimportant plot.
0: Yeah, he's well, the only person that Takes a shot and doesn't die.
1: Yes, yes.
0: But yes. he had been shot earlier in the movie too. In fact, Basil shot him in the hand.
1: Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> in a yeah. yeah, Basil is not so, a great uh sportsman. It turns out. No, no. As I think so, many men named Basil are, but this one is not. <laughs> so, dude, you it's know funny though. Is the actor who played Basil?
0: Yeah. Played a Nazi doctor in um in the Marvel movies.
1: Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did not know that. that. Yeah. So, so anyway, um. But it turns out that they have not accounted for continental drift, which, of course, Archimedes would not have known about. Yep. And as a result, instead, they somehow end up at 214 B.C. at the Siege of Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, because of continental drift. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that, look, Ken, I, I'm in the field. I spent all day surveying in the hot, hot heat. I thought to myself, oh, here I am, the Siege of Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, for those of you who are not familiar, siege of Syracuse was basically the Romans were storming the city, the Hellenistic city of Syracuse. Um, and uh, uh, Archimedes, the famous sort of like mathematician, inventor of of ancient Greece, um, had all these sort of war machines that they defended the city with. Um, and uh, uh, my understanding is <laughs> this was a vit- a victory for the greeks wasn't it
1: well i think it's complicated archimedes gets killed doesn't he at the siege of syracuse uh, like like in, in at the real siege of syracuse he he may
0: have so this is during the second punic war as well uh, i, I love that you, you added that, that and then looked at me as if you explained I am... I had something to
1: add about the second punic war I'm
0: currently quickly scanning the Wikipedia page here. Yeah. yeah. That's something I haven't read about
1: since uh, probably my second year
0: of undergrad. So, yeah. I mean, I thought um, the Siege
1: of Syracuse referred, referred to a 1989 college basketball game. So you can imagine yeah. my confusion.
0: But, uh, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool. So you fly in, it's, it's basically, it was basically like watching age of empires live. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's, um, there was a hint on Archimedes' tomb that the eagle on his tomb had helicopter wings on it or something, right? Propellers, which oh, I didn't yeah. actually see. I, I like I couldn't make it. It flashed either. the camera out so quickly that you couldn't. Uh, but uh Helena I was crunching that... on a nacho when that happened. I think. <laughs> so now, as they appear in the sky above this battle, um, guns a blazing. Uh, the Romans and the the uh, the Greeks. Um, make the observation that there are dragons in the sky uh and start firing like triremes um you know very you know the big long bolts metal bolts uh that are puncturing the plane uh the nazi plane in particular um and uh there's a scuffle inside one of the planes uh helena and dr jones escape they had their parachutes
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i don't know if you know that internet joke no, it's okay. They have their parachutes. <laughs> so uh, the, uh there's a Dragon Ball Z is this like great uh Japanese yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah sure. action. Yeah, I I absolutely love Dragon Ball Z, but so the American version they had to sanitize it a little bit because it actually is a fairly violent show. Oh okay. Um and uh so there's a scene where uh Vegeta, who's who's kind of like a anti hero, um, but he's a bad guy at the start of it shows up and he and his team blow up all of these like uh, military aircraft um, (laughs) and are killing a bunch of people, right? But it's a kid's show in North America. So they overdubbed this one scene with this other character, Tien, who points up in the air and he goes, it's okay, they have their parachutes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: So Mm
0: -hmm. Jones had his parachute.
1: good. (laughs) um but but at some point in in this scuffle the nazi doctor gets pushed out of the plane right or killed
0: Killed Uh, no the nazi doctor
1: doesn't die right away so where does the watch does i archimedes ends up with with a watch
0: from yeah he crash lands so the nazi plane crash lands okay and then jones's plane gets speared by or they were on the nazi plane Right, Had they they have been taken captive. Maybe that's what it was.
1: That's right. So Who's watch? Yeah. Is so it? they,
0: it's it's the Nazi doctor's watch. It is Smith's watch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because they show his like burned face, right? Um, and then Archimedes kind of strolls up casually, uh, and takes the watch off his wrist. Right. That's one. And more. then, and then, Jones and Helena and Archimedes have a conversation in Greek. Um and, uh, so we're. <laughs> The, the shark jumped and then then it then it did a double jump to get
1: out to the next level, and then Jones and, uh, essentially refuses to leave they they have, yeah. they have this realization that they're like, okay, we can fire up Teddy's plane, and we can get out of here um yeah. to fly back through the rip yeah, but Jones is yeah. like well this is this is where I actually want to be he's it, it 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 cannot really be uh overstated that Indiana Jones seems to be rather unhappy in the world yeah. that he otherwise inhabits yeah, and so it's become very exciting to see um Archimedes and it it's uh, I guess this is also another like lesson, you know, for the budding archaeologist in this is that you should not let your work get to you like this, you know <laughs> yeah. um you should you should uh, remain uh, you should try to take care of yourself. I think it's in many ways, this movie's about self care it is and and and, you know, some of the most honest
0: moments of this is that uh jones has gone through a divorce and he's an alcoholic which i think characterized a lot of archaeology uh in the <laughs> in the period between 1950 and probably up until about 10 years ago like i mean yeah alcoholic alcoholism is still rampant in the discipline um but i think collapsing marriages and and uh extramarital affairs and all this other stuff i think are less prevalent but uh, but certainly the aspects of being an alcoholic and and finding yourself in a divorce, uh, I think is almost maybe an academic uh you know, stereotype, but one that's based in fact.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the difference between the archaeology version and the and the other academic version is that many of the archaeologists we know have done this three or four times. <laughs> yes, that's fair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um the uh so anyway, so so we go through the self-care lesson. Um and then, um, but Helena, of course, now who is not the sort of like battle-hardened antiquities dealer she apparently was, um, sort of uh, punches India Jones, presumably loads him onto the plane. Um, and then the scene cuts to a bed, I I think back in India Jones' New York apartment, um, where uh, with a Roman arrowhead on his bedside table, yeah, him in a bandage. Um, or sorry, Arrowhead, Roman projectile point on his bedside table. <laughs> um, and uh, and Helena points out, and he's mad about this, Helena points out that staying would have changed the course of history. Um, and quote, you're meant to be here, Indy. And then Indy says, for who? And then Marion enters. Um, and uh, Salah comes in with the kids, uh, at which point Helena shuffles everyone uh, off so that uh there's a sort of uh invoking i think a scene from raiders where they become romantically entangled again yeah everything hurts everything
0: is- except for here and here yeah <laughs> yeah except this time it's marion who is Indy is kissing you know her elbow and her
1: shoulder and then they have an embrace exactly yeah so um i thought the movie was bearable um I, like, I like Indiana Jones movies, so, you know, so I was yeah. kind of an easy sell on this. Um, I actually thought the plot in some ways was clever. It was. I, I will say that
0: I'm not sure if they had to actually go through time. Uh, well, and, how, how were you going to get the Siege of Syracuse? <laughs> and, and, and I think that keeping, if you want to go through time, don't have the conversation with archimedes i, I just like there are parts <laughs> there are parts of it that just i don't know it was like <clears throat> it was like in crystal skull it's like why did you have to show the aliens like yeah, yeah the fun of it is that we know that they're there yeah like don't use cheesy cgi to like you know
1: what take the top off this temple kind of thing right like yeah. uh I mean, also just what are the odds? You know, I mean, I assume Archimedes had office hours and he was like every other professor, and it just, you know, like you go there and he's not there, you know, he's down at the, the grad house or something having a pint or yeah you know, Greek things. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> seems odd to me. But anyway, what I thought this movie was about, and I thought what gives it some meaning, and it gives um really the whole Indian it's my I mean I've I've great affection really for the original three, right? Oh, big time. Um, I, I re-watched them recently
0: as we prepare too. for reviewing the fourth one actually on yeah. another podcast here in a few weeks.
1: So. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're cultural critics as well as archaeology podcasters. Um but basically I, I think there are there are some, some things to think about. And um, and one of these is that we see in this movie um a tension between science and the humanities, which we alluded to earlier with India Jones talking about processualism and in many ways, I think the Nazi character is a sort of, he is this this hotshot space scientist, uh, aeronautical yeah. engineer, I guess, um, dealing in archeology. span In many ways, he conflates the two, I think. And um, I was reminded of C.P. Snow's essay about the two cultures, that good science needs the humanities as well, right? And we wanna think about ways in which uh, we can consider science and humanities together and in ways that humanities can inform uh on the sciences and because you don't want to end up doing things like flying your plane you know back to try to make the Nazis win the war, right? This this would be a good application, I think, of the humanities. Um Ken's nodding the listener will appreciate yeah, I, that. I I'm nodding because uh I I will admit I <laughs> I did not think that deeply about this movie. <laughs> and the second thing I think it's a commentary on is um on well nazi archaeology in fact and so um there was this uh, when i took uh uh brian robinson's theory class at the university of maine we read i think as many people do in like a 5000 level theory course uh bruce trigger's book about it's called the history of archaeological thought yep. and um one of the interesting sections in that book is the chapter on culture history and so we don't need to like get super bogged down in what culture history is or what processualism is but basically in this one processualism in the coming into the 1960s was a turn towards scientific approaches to archaeology and that's ushered in by a variety of things um it's ushered in by the 60s themselves but it's also ushered in by all sorts of new analytical techniques in archaeology Particularly, radiocarbon—a proliferation of radiocarbon dating—and the idea was sort of that we could start to make general laws about humanity. We'd have all sorts of understandings about how humans work, you know. Um, and this would be a replacement, in some ways, for the paradigm that had dominated archaeology prior to this, which was culture history. Culture history sort to put things in order. It's thought to basically kind of do things like divide. place it into culture areas, figure out uh, who was where.
0: uh, The the moniker that's given to culture history is pots. Pots are people. So, you know, you've had the weaker culture. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is, in fact, this turned out to be true that archaeologists had to keep doing culture history anyway, right? Yeah. And so we can can say that reflectively. But anyway, Trigger, um, who is a great archaeologist, uh, Brian thought, and I, mean, I kind of think, was really unfair to culture history. Trigger was not, was a materialist, I think, but probably would not have been described as a Uh Trigger's a Canadian archaeological theory um, guy and was a Marxist. Um, but he equated culture history with Gustav Kusina, who was a Nazi culture historian, uh, archaeologist. And I think we can see real uh nods towards kusinna in this movie and in fact in some of the earlier movies involving uh Nazis. We see so for instance, one of the critiques that archaeologists often level at the Indiana Jones franchise is that you know the movies a little loody, right? You know, some people are running around, you know, it's not a lot of excavation. Um and we see that the Nazis are really obsessed with items, right? You know, Ken and Ken mentioned that you know pots are people or points are people. This guy Gustav Kusinna who uh was sort of Uh, this this German archaeologist, he only conducted one excavation, you know, he's not really a field guy, right? Um, And he was really interested in archaeological cultures uh, as unified ethnicities, so he would have thought about uh, various kind of culture groups as actually representing ethnicities. Um, And he used this to argue that there was a national German identity, and therefore that there was a historic right to lands in places like Poland and in Czechoslovakia. So you can kind of see where this is going, right? And and he had a diffusionist model of culture change. And so he believed that advanced, um, and he framed that in very racial terms, people diffuse their traits to people who are less superior. And so he thought as a result, Germans in their history had really built up culture while the French and the Romans, who were inferior, again, we can see you know, some obvious these kind of uh, ways that this might have inspired and been involved in Nazi ideology, destroyed culture. And so uh, this became important because even though Kassina died in 1931, his take on all of this became important in the Nazi school curriculum. And so in Trigger's view, um, Kassina wanted to show that Germany was, quote, the homeland of Indo-European peoples, and the center of cultural creativity in prehistoric times, while the other uh, Indo-European speaking people had moved off and interbred with allegedly inferior races. The Germans alone had preserved their racial purity and hence the full powers of creativity." And so this fits in figures' uh, understanding within the goals of what would be a nationalist archaeology. And so in many ways, I think actually these movies are anti-nationalist. And and that's a point maybe we'll discuss in a minute. And then he thought this was to uh, bolster pride and the morale of nations or ethnic groups. um, It's probably strongest, Trigger says, amongst people who feel politically threatened, insecure, or deprived of their collective rights by more powerful nations or in countries where appeals for national unity are being made to counteract serious divisions along class lines. So he has the little Marxist line at the end. So anyway, that's my defense I think here, which is that I think that this whole series, even though it's focused on objects, what it may be about is the importance of the two cultures working together and a response to um, a very particular Nazi brand of nationalist archeology. span Sorry, I'm I, slightly filibustered here, but the uh that that was um that was my take on the movie.
0: That uh, well, and that's uh and that that I think uh I think that sums it up. That's uh um, <laughs> I, I had some notes about whether or not time travel, uh uh, you know, whether they're they're traveling back in time was uh how they how they're gonna solve this, you know creating new timelines loop that they did or if oh well, let's,
1: let's go to that or if, totally or if they had always
0: been uh so archimedes makes this line that you were going to come anyway or something like that like, oh, i can yeah. uh,
1: and so yeah
0: they make a statement basically about, you were always going to meet me he says you were always going to meet me right yeah. so um in this timeline or the the way that they're approaching time travel in this regard is that it's always going to happen that they travel back the way they did and so the reason they see the propeller on archimedes tomb in 1969 is because they had already been back in time he had a watch because the events of that day had already happened and so they were just playing that out you know, in this sort of like time loop, right. As the opposed listener, to at this point, we'll already have detected that Ken likes pink Floyd more than I do. <laughs> so as opposed to traveling back and creating an entirely new branch of time, which is actually probably what most people would argue actually happened. They're saying that what actually happened was that they traveled back in time and they created the events that they observed basically and. So the the reason he has a watch, the reason there's propellers is because he encountered them 2000 years before. And in order for him to encounter them, they had to go back anyway. So it was always going to happen that this was going to happen. Whereas I think if you, my understanding of how space time works is that that's not how it works. (laughs) Is that the reality that they, the, the sort of, time that they were traveling on they created an entirely new timeline by going back in time
1: yeah that that that
0: seems correct yeah. it's much <laughs> less cerebral than what
1: you <laughs> what you had observed about the series no, it's as actually, a whole. and i, and no, I, I think and, it's and, more like, cerebral which is why i don't really i, I think it's more cerebral but in a, in a different way perhaps <laughs> um but yeah but and and I, I like I do
0: I do see what you mean about the the commentary of sort of the series as a whole. And and I do like and I think it's an easy shot to say, you know, that Indiana Jones isn't a real
1: archaeologist and all this yeah. other stuff. I, I I think it's an easy target. Right. I do, too. Um, I think it's a little bit silly, too. I mean, I I think most movies that portray a profession or, you know, or most, you know, it, it's like saying that Mike Mulligan wasn't a real steam shovel operator, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh really
0: <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah i i like i had a i had a few sort of notes about the movie itself yeah let's do those um, the um the de-aging thing was interesting i i um, agreed with that his I eyes was... his eyes were a little bit um unnerving uh, there was also this wide shot of him running across the top of the train yeah. that looked like a video game from about 1996. Yeah, he, he moves as an old man moves despite the de-aging, I think. I, it, it was the eyes that were yeah. like haunting almost. <laughs> and they moved in a way that was <laughs> very unnatural. I suspect Harrison Ford um, has seen some things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, do you think it's setting up like where Marion says he's back? Oh, uh, I,
1: I I confess, despite loving the series, I sort of hope this is it. Yeah, um, I, I think I think it has to end <laughs> <laughs> because because it's you know I would rank this I guess fourth of the five.
0: Yeah, it, without question, Crystal Skull is the is is by far the worst film in the series. Yeah. Um, Although there are parts of this that th- there's parts of this movie that I enjoyed a lot more than Temple of Doom. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed Temple of Doom, but uh, the amount of screaming in the first thirty minutes of that movie—like <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have young children at home—I yeah, yeah, I don't you, need to hear that in a movie. Like, yeah, well. Elwood the main coon cat does not scream at home. So so I get my screams where I can get them, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, and I and I I that's the one I haven't rewatched yet, prepping for our review of uh Crystal Skull. So that's the one I gotta go back to. Yeah. Um I just I think that um in many ways, I think it's it's uh they're they're fun movies, they're they're good movies, I think. I didn't think this was a bad movie. No. Um I it's entertaining. Have... Like it's yeah. a very good movie movie in the sense that like it is
0: escapist, it's entertaining. Uh it's it's a little bit long for what it could be, but I mean they're all like they all kind of clock in sort of like a you know, they're not 90 minute movies,
1: right? Yeah. Escapist <laughs> a little long and entertaining is what we go for uh, actually with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um one thing I think has been interesting is um all right, so I'm in the field, right, with a bunch of students. They haven't all seen it, although I think we're gonna, um, if it comes to streaming while we're still out here, we're gonna do a movie night, um, which I'm hoping it does. Um, but my students that have seen it um, and my graduate student that has seen it, who I talked to, um, have really liked it. Yeah, and so I, I, I can I, see I, that. Yeah, I wonder if we are um, kind of outside of the, like we may be adapted to not like long movies.
0: So I didn't have any problem with the length. I, I oh, will really? agree that some of the scenes dragged on. Yeah. Um, but I like, so I think the listener doesn't know this, but I am a movie file, whereas Gabe is not. Yeah, um, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. yeah. I think the only movie Gabe had ever seen when I first met him was Dr. Strangelove. And <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, that, well, no, that's not quite true. but But yeah, you like movies a lot more than I do. Yeah, and so so like uh, you know, I I will watch almost anything, and I will actually I will always prefer an awful awful movie to a TV
1: show. Oh um, yeah, I don't like TV. I like TV shows even less than I like movies. <laughs> yeah, but by, um, by large,
0: so but I you know the other thing too is that um, the generation of archaeology students of today haven't really had much archaeology. You know, we had so. We grew up. We were young enough that, or, or we're old enough, I guess that um, our parents would have seen Indiana Jones when they first came out. And actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, Last Crusade came out in
1: eighty-eight.
0: Uh, uh,
1: I I I'm not sure. Let me just check this. Because is Raiders eighty-three.
0: Yeah. So the Last Crusade eight eighty-nine. So you know, okay. I was three years old and you were, you were a newborn, but like the Indiana Jones series was fresh in everybody's mind when we were yeah. kids. Yes. And so us watching it was not, it was not old at that time. Right. Like, no, I remember being, uh, we went on a big family trip to Disneyland, uh, when I was probably eight or 10 and I had seen all the Indiana Jones movies. And for the months leading up to that trip, I was measuring myself basically every day to make sure I had reached <laughs> the height requirement in order to go on the brand new Indiana Jones ride that had just oh, opened wow. at, at Disneyland. And it was oh, wow. fantastic. It was like yeah, all yeah. around fantastic. I bet. Um, so we kind of grew up with this. That, whatever had, pictures you have from that trip should probably be your faculty photo. Uh, I probably actually have a picture of me in line at that ride. There you go. Um, uh, my, my parents would have it, but, um, but like we had, we were the generation that grew up. We had Tomb Raider. Um, uh, so Lara Croft, who was an archeologist sort of in the vein of Indiana Jones. Huh. Um, uh, there was that, uh, um, the other video game series, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, I can't remember anyway. And then there was like the national treasure movies came out, but like, there hasn't been a new movie sort of about pop culture, archaeology, you know, archaeologists in yeah. sort of the, you know, in the, in the zeitgeist, I guess. And so, although the movie, as far as I understand, has not done very well in the box office.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: I bet you there's a whole new generation of archaeology students who are maybe like discovering Indiana Jones.
1: Yeah, I, ho- I hope that's true. I mean, I, I think one of the things that, that you and I, maybe we we find about this is that we're sort of willing to accept the, um, you know, compromises that one has to make to make a movie. Inter- like, I, no one was going to see a movie that involved Indiana Jones, you know, putting in a grid before he... Yeah. Writing, writing notes do. for 80% of the movie. Yeah, Indiana Jones and the right in the Rain notebook is just not quite the same, <laughs> yeah. I don't think, as Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the pedestaled feature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the, oh no, I forgot the stadia rod. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, yeah. I mean, like critiques of these movies are are valid, right? Um, and sure. they you know, are, and, we, and we, we shouldn't be too comical about it, probably. Yeah. And, but like, but we can also like, I think an archeologist can enjoy Indiana Jones um, as, like the escapist f- fiction of our discipline as opposed to like being concerned that it's shaping the narrative. Like I think there are, there are much more dangerous pseudo-archaeological programming out there like Netflix's uh, Ancient Aliens or Ancient sure. Apocalypse or whatever it's called that are, you know, I think having a greater impact, a, a greater negative impact on archaeology in North America, at least. Yeah. Uh, than any indiana jones
1: movie is going to cause yeah i think a key distinction is that indiana jones is not in fact digging real sites no yeah no he's and, also and like think, sort of a quasi superhero like yeah and i think to pull this back just even a little further than my earlier comments on on being anti-nationalist indiana jones is anti-nazi and i think we can we can yeah. all be on board with that you know? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, that's, that's the other thing is it's like yeah alarmingly
0: you know this is not a, a stance that all uh all,
1: all of your countrymen take these days like- yeah yeah ken says from the confines of alberta you know right <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> a notorious bastion of- <laughs> yeah the um but yeah no i mean i and and i think you know i think the world could use an anti-nazi movie right now i like i don't yep i think um i think oppenheimer I- uh looks like it's going to be in that vein it also but looks it would, fantastic. It's coming out very have, soon, right?
0: Did you have a preview for it in in your movie? Uh, no, we did not. Oh, there was a pre- I there may was have been Oppenheimer- distracted ordering nachos. Oh well, there's an Oppenheimer preview, and there was also, you'll like this. It's a preview for the new Hercule Poirot movie. Oh, I did see that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's like a, thriller Halloween themed
1: thing. Yeah. So just to, to tie this into actually to Hercule Poirot, I, it was one other thing I thought about, which was that so Agatha Christie uh was married to an archaeologist. Oh, really? And so many of the poiros actually deal kind of obliquely with um archaeology. And when and when Nadine and I were talking about um the movie afterwards, one of the things we were we were talking about is that there actually are some very good uh portrayals of um archaeology in uh, both Agatha Christie's books and in the movie versions with David Suchet playing Poirot that articulate with archaeology. Oh um, I some, did not know some, that. Yeah I mean often kind of a sort of ambiance you know but but yeah. that are very good um, and she actually wrote a memoir called Come Tell Me How You Live um, which is about her going in the field with her husband. No way. Um, and it's, it's one has to say not very good um compared to her other <laughs> stuff uh it's it's i think it's just it's not very revelatory about her but it is funny and it is interesting yeah i i've um, never read any of her stuff i've actually never read any of the uh poirot
0: books so i'm i'm i've engaged with poirot from the uh kenneth branagh
1: depiction uh, Ah, yeah, yeah yeah um but i was thinking we should actually we should uh we we could even mention on the um when we now that we're movie reviewers that uh there's a number of opportunities there for these screens of the stone age folks to
0: yeah yeah there you go and and we should highlight them again uh screens of the stone age if you're looking for like uh sort of archaeologists and, and bioarchaeologists doing reviews of archaeology movies if there are other archaeological themed movies that you're interested in uh they've got i don't know it's like 50 episodes now or something like that um and and break it down and do a much more kind of like academic review of it kind of like we gave it for this movie that i uh I, I did not i did not bring any kind of but the
1: listener will appreciate that ken remembered the plot which i'd only <laughs> kind of had a casual understanding of as i was enjoying um, this this strange uh strange red drink so so we're gonna
0: actually put them in the show notes again i think we will uh, yeah as a as kind of an, uh and and we will you'll hear us on there uh, to review the the worst of the indiana jones series uh kingdom of the crystal skull yeah um uh, so so um
1: so ken uh, i don't know if you remember uh but in the battle days uh was was the last field season that we really spent together it was it was probably in port jolly actually wasn't it yeah 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 do you remember how in port jolly we could stay up all night it didn't matter if the uh, the cove was half full or half empty we were gonna there feel was, fine uh...
0: There was a fine sea breeze and 13 less years on my
1: life. It's true. And uh, and we now uh, increasingly look like, I don't think we're closer to Harrison Ford than we were to the Ken and Gabes of, uh, of whatever year that was, 2011? 2010. 2010,
0: yeah. And, to, and 12. I was down there for a few days and 12.
1: Oh, that's right yeah but we are yeah. we are hurtling Toy Harrison Ford and I am looking at a half finished bottle of Covoier cool and I'm in the field tomorrow but do we have any closing thoughts about Indiana Jones um I I think my
0: closing thought is that uh it is enjoyable yeah I was I left the theater happy that I had gone to it and uh there are things to nitpick about it but um as an Indiana Jones movie it fits much more with the original series uh trilogy than uh than crystal skull did i I was I was pleased with that. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. And and I think ultimately just leaving it, uh, one of the things that made me think about it, and really like one of the reasons we do this podcast is that um, archaeology is actually a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think uh, we would, I, my thought was just sort of like, oh, it's good to be reminded that archaeology is a lot of fun. And it's good to realize, I think, that uh, those of us who do it are very lucky to do it um, because of the thing that the public thinks is fun. Um yeah. and so I think that's really cool and I think uh I am excited by what are basically positive portrayals of archaeology. Um yeah and, it and that it that yeah I think it it is those they're fun movies regardless yeah, like they are and yeah.
0: and you know um you don't need to take things too seriously with them um but uh but yeah I I, I you know you don't see many screens in these movies but I don't think you're it's intended to be no, it's uh there's no gridded excavations here um although i think in the only movie the only movie that they actually do excavation
1: is in temple of D- uh or raiders of the lost ark that's right he, he even though sala says all the best figures are taken he somehow gets a late night crew i've never, never been very <laughs> yeah. clear on that yeah the but, uh, uh great and um and so we do not uh because this is, this is i believe categorizing this as a special episode is that right ken
0: uh, yeah, this will be this will be in our special episode um, uh, grouping, basically.
1: Great. Which is why we do not have hit pieces tonight. That's correct. Um, and it is why we, I think, have run a little shorter than usual. But we wanted to uh, let the listener know that we are, as we've said before, uh, unfortunately, I'm afraid we said it three weeks ago. We are committed to keeping this roughly fortnightly.
0: <laughs> what was it three weeks ago? Because this was like a regularly scheduled episode in my calendar oh, yeah i think well, i, I be, think we
1: i think we actually nailed two weeks on the dot and inadvertently I, I would be delighted to learn that that was the case um and uh yeah so i think we just wanted to kind of thank the listener though either way for bearing with us through the summer like i said i'm in the field um and uh ken had this rare experience of not being able to talk for uh, a few days and uh, i
0: finished my thesis
1: that was like yes. you know yeah so yeah right finished writing so, it, at least yeah. So this is, I guess we should say this is the other exciting thing that's looming is um is uh Ken is soon to be Dr. Ken.
0: Yep. That's even,
1: uh, ex- even external?
0: Ken external. Fantastic. And as far as I understand, that person has my my dissertation.
1: That's great. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the uh so you, you sent it off like uh it's 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 out there now. August 30th.
0: Right. You won't be recording the next day because I probably won't feel good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um and am I right also that most of your thesis has already been published though?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Two out of the three papers.
1: So the little anticlimactic. A
0: little bit anticlimactic, but you know, I, I think getting done it's a is climax to be... nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's the what's the unpublished paper? Can you give the listener a little sneak preview? Uh basically I'm arguing that um so we talk about placemaking, basically, that um, you know humans invest in uh, natural place, places in the world. Um, we sort of build up memory attachment to certain places in the landscape. Uh, quarries where you get stone are among these places. They are persistent. They are enduring through time. People visit them over several thousand years. Um, and I'm arguing that when you extract stone from those places and you make stone tools out of them, and then you share them, exchange them, or trade them through... Uh, with partners and and friends and neighbors and allies and that kind of thing. And you see the distribution of this material um, effectively, you are participating what I would, I, what I'm calling portable placemaking. And so taking a piece of that place with you um, and that the stories and the uh, memories and the history of that place are, are being brought along with that stone. And so um, that is, that is the argument in that paper. And so I'm, I'm focusing on, Washtamok Church from Bellier's Cove on Washington Lake. Lake, um, and I kind of track it through time and space over 13,000 years, basically.
1: Yeah. Well, Ken, uh, like Anita Jones said, proving it is what makes it science. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that sounds good, though. I'm looking forward to reading I'm just that. trying to save history. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm looking at a half finished bottle of A and I'm in the field tomorrow. Um, so should we bid the listener? Good night.
0: Yes. Good night, listener. And uh, hope you've seen the movie. Maybe watch the movie first and listen to our review of it and and uh, or, or do, you know, do it vice versa. All right.
1: Good night. Good morning, listener, wherever you may be. And we will talk to you in about a fortnight. Take care. Take care. What is